The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. This is Jacob Yasha Schneider, editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, welcoming you to the American Thoracic Society's Blue Journal podcast. I would like to introduce uh, Dr. Serpil Erzurum, Deputy Editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Erzurum is a Professor of Medicine and Chair of the Department of Pathobiology at the Cleveland Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Erzurum. Thanks, Yasha. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Stephen Abman, who's Professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Colorado School of Medicine where he is also the director of the Pediatric Heart-Lung Center at Children's Hospital of Colorado. We'll be discussing the important issues highlighted in his recent Perspective article, published in the March 15th issue of the Blue Journal, entitled, Implications of the FDA Warning Against the Use of Sildenafil for the Treatment of Pediatric Pulmonary Hypertension. Welcome, Dr. Abman. Great. Thank you, Serval. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here. I wanted to start with asking you a bit first about pediatric pulmonary hypertension, the prevalence, and how it might be similar to the adult form of the disease. Yeah, well, that's a very important question that's uh, finally getting a lot of focus. You know, for many years, I think, not much attention has been paid uh, in terms of pulmonary hypertension in the pediatric world. You know, there have been a few settings uh, such as an idiopathic pulmonary arterial hypertension or in kids with congenital heart disease where it received a lot of focus. But even with that, much of the attention has been based on what we've learned from the adult experience and very little in the broader area of pediatrics itself. And so we're beginning to learn more and more that uh, the pulmonary hypertension uh, problems can be related to many different pulmonary problems, starting in the neonatal intensive care unit, all the way through cystic fibrosis and other chronic interstitial lung diseases. And it's also something related to a number of similar kinds of systemic diseases that are seen in the adult world as well. So we're really excited that now the focus has been drawn on different types of pulmonary hypertension in kids and and that more and more interventions are becoming available to improve uh, long-term outcomes. Yeah, that's really part of what this perspective is about. Can you outline for us what the current treatment options are for the disease and which, if any, are FDA approved? Well, that's an important question. So really the treatment options that we use, aside from inhaled nitric oxide, I think we're pretty much using medications off-label and we're using them in settings that haven't been well tested in many circumstances. For example, inhaled nitric oxide is is exclusively FDA approved for newborns with severe persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn who present with profound hypoxemic respiratory failure. So that's exclusive to children, although most of the use of inhaled NO is off-label in both the adult and the older child world. It's really the one thing that's exclusively targeted for pediatric pulmonary hypertension. Otherwise, we really use many of the same medications, whether it's sildenafil or the endothelin receptor antagonists like Bosentan. We use them based on the adult experience and adult studies predominantly and try to translate them in ways that can be as safe and hopefully effective as possible. 
So there have been a number of studies that have been performed with these medications and others, and yet uh, we don't really have the large-scale randomized controlled trials that we do in the adult world. You know, we're still lagging behind in terms of getting sufficient evidence for, again, efficacy and safety in many of the pediatric populations. So that seems like a very logical approach, the application of medications tested in adults for children. So then why did the FDA issue this warning against the use of sildenafil in children? And if you could explain that and why it's controversial. Yeah, that's a great question. So in general, even though there are a lot of similarities between kids and adults with many aspects of pulmonary hypertension, there are some unique things related to developmental biology, perhaps pharmacokinetics and metabolism that really make uh, each agent raise novel questions in kids that may not have been uh, a problem or a concern in adults. And so sildenafil is a good example of uh, the possibility of what one could be concerned about. You know, first of all, we have extensive experience clinically with sildenafil in many different settings in pediatrics. A lot of its use is really in the neonatal intensive care unit, for example, and these are newborns. So kids usually, you know, less than a month of age or older kids, but a lot of infants are receiving sildenafil when they have pulmonary hypertension in the setting of prematurity and a chronic lung disease known as bronchopulmonary dysplasia. It's been used and studied in uh, children with PPHN, or persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn, in uh, countries where nitric oxide is not available as a standard of care. And so there's been a wealth of experience in the younger child with sildenafil. And so far, the overall signal seems to be one of safety and then pretty good benefit. However, the only real randomized study in the young infant has been really in the PPHN setting of, of the newborn. So what's really different is that the study that was published uh, last year, study sponsored by Pfizer and led by uh, Drs. Robin Barst and Dunbar-Ivy and others, was really examining sildenafil as a, a monotherapy in slightly older children with pulmonary hypertension out of the infancy range. That is, kids that were aged from 1 to 17 years of age. And they received one of three different doses, meaning low, medium, and high-dose therapy. And they were studied for 16 weeks in this initial uh, protocol. And during this study, there were some signals that were dose-related in terms of perhaps some clinical improvement with uh, monotherapy of sildenafil. seemed to be well-tolerated during that early 16-week period. But one of the main concerns was a signal that was really first described in that original paper by Robin Barst et al., which suggested that as the kids were followed at three, four, and five years, there was a concerning signal of increased mortality and that this mortality seemed to be dose-related. In other words, patients who received very high-dose sildenafil seemed to have a high mortality and those with modest or medium levels of therapy had little signal and those with low dose, it appeared fairly safe. And so with that signal in mind then, the uh, FDA took a look at the data and they examined what is their concern uh, about these findings. You know, very thoughtful review, very concerning signal to see mortality increase, and I think they did a very rigorous job in evaluating the potential concerns here. Well, when they looked at these data and saw that relationship between high-dose sildenafil and higher mortality, and they combined it with the fact that the study from the 16-week period with low doses did not show strong signal of benefit 
they felt they needed to conclude that this does not look very effective for kids and with this higher risk of potential mortality, that it's something that we need to be concerned about. And so that's where the FDA issued a warning against its use in children. So the warning itself just really states that children taking a high dose of Rivadio or Sildenafil had a higher risk of death than children taking a low dose, that low doses of Rivadio were not effective in improving exercise capability, which was the primary endpoint of the study, and that in light of these new data that off-label use is not recommended by the FDA. Now, this is in contrast with the European Medical Agency, which looked at the same data and felt like, well, you know, there may have been this mortality signal that's appearing, but if we avoid high doses of sildenafil, perhaps there can still be some benefit and some safety by sticking to much lower doses where the signal was either absent or markedly decreased. So you have the EMA in the European world saying that sildenafil is something that they would recommend using, but they would restrict the dosage and keep the doses at the lower ranges. And they have the FDA that has this very strong warning saying that it really just isn't recommended at all. And so that really is what triggered our editorial and discussion along some of these lines. Thanks. That's a very good explanation of some of the controversy that exists between the European and then the FDA advisory. Can you summarize for us what your overall recommendations are with the committee in the editorial regarding the use of sildenafil, taking all this information into account for children right now? So we have formed this pediatric pulmonary hypertension network, which includes eight different centers around North America, and we've been working together for this kind of purpose, you know, really to help provide a greater understanding of pediatric pulmonary hypertension, how to evaluate it, how to treat it. And uh, we had uh, a couple of calls, teleconferences and discussions and flurry of emails back and forth amongst members of the group. And basically, it's together as a group, we, we came up with, uh, with a statement that was recently published. And overall, what we really wanted to highlight was that there might be some concern, some risk in terms of how practitioners would view that FDA warning, whereby if they were to rapidly withdraw sildenafil therapy from their patients, it might be life-threatening. So we really wanted to make sure that any change in dosing in response to this was done with full awareness of the issues, that it was done under medical supervision, and that support wasn't just immediately withdrawn. The second part of what stimulated our concern was the idea that we don't have a lot of other options for treating some of our kids who are currently on therapy and that they're actually showing beneficial improvements. And so we really wanted to somehow say that, look, if we're going to continue our patients on sildenafil, let's use the dose ranges that are safer or more likely to be safer and follow the EMA, the European Medical Agency's approved dosing schedule. So we highlighted the importance that if you're treating children, that we would use a certain dose that is 10 milligrams TID if you're between 8 and 20 kilograms. And above 20 kilos, we would recommend 20 milligrams TID. And so we're just really supporting the EMA approach towards a continued use of sildenafil in the setting. Again, highlighting the importance that we really have to follow our patients closely we should look for adverse events and side effects and worsening of pulmonary hypertension. And that basically with some forms of pulmonary hypertension, the idea of monotherapy alone to be sufficient 
with the more uh, virulent forms of pulmonary hypertension is not likely to be able to be sustainable. So looking for the addition of other medications more aggressively. And so those are the sorts of things that you couldn't get from the, uh, the follow-up data from the Pfizer study. In other words, those are patients who didn't necessarily have options of getting a second drug added. There were no clear guidelines on how to follow patients with pulmonary hypertension in that trial. The patients who died in the Pfizer study at follow-up tended to be those patients, at least three-fourths of them, who had idiopathic pulmonary hypertension and not pulmonary hypertension associated with congenital heart disease. They also tended to be the older patients rather than the, the younger ones. And so there are a number of features and factors that have us concerned about those data. But uh, we thought the safest way was to continue using sildenafil with uh, very mindful approaches. If we see deterioration, to either switch medications or add on a second medication according to the recommended guidelines and algorithms that are being developed, but certainly to avoid uh, abrupt withdrawal of sildenafil until we get more information along these lines. I'd like to ask you, moving forward, what are the next steps in the next five, ten years, in particular in relation to the pediatric pulmonary hypertension network that's been formed and possibly future studies that will help instruct us as to how to uh, better care for children with pulmonary hypertension? Yeah, well, one of the questions that we are addressing with the network is how can we use greater experience from more centers, more experts, to come together to really address many of these kinds of problems. And as you know, uh, pulmonary hypertension is a relatively rare disorder and that no single center will have sufficient patients to really learn sufficiently about the pathogenesis, natural history of disease, let alone the therapeutic responsiveness to disease. So partly what we've done as a network is we're organizing a database where we could combine information to learn more about the longitudinal outcomes of these children and so along the lines of sildenafil, for example, it gives us an opportunity to look at our database with extensive numbers and to really see, is there a signal from our populations that would make us more concerned about sildenafil or not? And, and this is an example of how having an existing registry or database can help uh, handle many of these questions as they come up. The other part of it, too, is that we have to be concerned about medications applied to kids because, you know, they, we still have the developing lung and all of developmental biology to be concerned about. The drugs that may work in terms of uh, having favorable effects on pulmonary vascular remodeling, for example, could potentially adversely affect growth of the uh, lung circulation, and that would thereby uh, impair growth of the alveoli. And so the risk for uh, lung hypoplasia may paradoxically occur in, uh, with therapies that have been successful in adults, yet if you have the wrong developmental window, may have adverse events. And so those are some of the questions we'd like to uh, you know, flesh out better by having this network and uh, using uh, extensive databases and things along those lines. And then finally, it's also a source for having greater numbers who could be enrolled in clinical trials. And so we could um, perhaps learn more or get drugs applied to kids more quickly and uh, uh, capture data and uh, be able to develop novel therapeutics more rapidly by having an established network that could approach some of these things. So those are some of the reasons behind the pulmonary hypertension network and the idea of getting more pediatricians working together 
The other part of it is that we like the idea of a multidisciplinary approach, whereby it's uh, not all about the cardiology, but uh, pulmonologists, uh, neonatologists, intensivists, and others uh, can all provide their insights into clinical wisdom of some of these disorders associated with pulmonary hypertension. And so the network can serve a number of uh, purposes along those lines, and so we're excited about this moving forward. Today we've discussed the perspective on the implications of the FDA warning against the use of sildenafil for the treatment of pediatric pulmonary hypertension. For more information regarding this issue, readers can find Dr. Abman's perspective article in the March 15th issue of the Blue Journal. Thanks for listening.